We are having a fellowship dinner right after church, and we would love for you all to stay. Even if you didn't plan on it, stay anyways. There's always good food, and there's plenty for everyone. So come, and then you can talk to your heart's content. Uh, Pastor John has some things that he wants to say uh, in terms of what we're going to be doing this month. So, All right, so we planned, um, when we planned out this year, we planned out like a year in advance, and we planned out what we were going to be doing every month. Um, and when it came time for the month of April, um, we really felt like God said he wanted to um, teach people to live free. And he wanted to heal some places that people were broken in their hearts and ba like baggage <coughs> that people were carrying. And so I just wanted to share with you for a second this morning. Um, I don't know how many of you feel like where you're at with God. If you feel like you're in a really good place or a really bad place. Um, honestly, I think it, it doesn't matter. And there was a story that I was looking at. Um, it doesn't matter in relationship to this, I should say. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament that I was reading about a time where the Israelites, God's people, weren't even in this good of a place. They were like in a bad place. Um, Samuel had come and he had just like rebuked them because they had been worshiping this sex goddess and they had been worshiping this weather god. So like clearly like they weren't in a good place at all. And then they were going to have to fight the Philistines. And so they were scared of fighting the Philistines. They thought they were going to lose. They knew it wasn't going to be a good thing at all. And then God does this thing where he shouts from heaven. It's that the Bible says he shouted like thunder. And then the Philistines, they got all confused. They didn't know what was going on. And the Israelites went in and they won the battle. And then Samuel came and he built this thing out of stone. He built like this like altar looking thing. And he called it an Ebenezer. And the reason he did that was so that every time people came back and they looked at this thing that he had built, they would know and they would remember that God had given them the victory. And I felt like God said that in the month of April, he was going to do that for us. He was going to do that for different ones of us who have been struggling with things for a long time. Maybe <coughs> even have hurt places in us that we didn't even remember were hurt. Different places where we were broken. And God was going to come. He was going to give us the victory not only just for today, because we do need the victory for today in our lives, amen, but even more than that, so that we could come back and look back and we could say, in April, my church did this series and, you know, they've done other series and it didn't seem like a huge deal that they were doing this thing on living free. And it wasn't that big of a deal at all until God came and set me free. And then it became a huge deal so that you could have something you could look back at and say, that's the place where God set me free. And I'm believing that that's going to be that for some of us. So would you just bow your heads this morning and let us let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for what you had planned for this month before we even knew what we were going to do, before we even gave a thought to what we were going to do, before we planned it all. You knew what was going to happen. And you looked ahead, you looked at April, and you said, I'm going to set my people free. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would come and you would set us free from the things that have been holding us back, maybe things that have held us back for a long time that we didn't even realize were holding us back, <coughs> that your people would be able to be free to be who you've called them to be. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I need to be free, freer than I've ever been. And uh, I love how God chooses times, seasons, days to help us to remember things. Uh, this past week, uh, many of you extended to me your well wishes for my birthday and I am very grateful for every one of them for the gifts that some of you gave for the food 
which is why I invite you all to the fellowship dinner, and I just choose not to eat because I ate too much all week long from the stuff you guys brought me. Uh, but I, I appreciate it. But it's kind of like we have a day. Well, how many of you remember the day you got saved? God did something in you. He redeemed you. How many times God has given you like breakthrough moments? And that's really what we're hoping and praying that this month will be about. Uh, the title of my message this morning actually comes from a, um, a song that some of you guys might remember. Um, it's called Why Me, Lord. How many of you guys remember that? And who did it? Thank you. Chris Christopherson had an encounter. I mean, he was a rough and tumble kind of guy. I mean, he was a good old-fashioned sinner. (coughs) And God came and met with him in the midst of a a time of great struggle, of great loss. And he wrote this song called, Why Me, Lord? And I felt like it was an appropriate beginning. But here's where I want to start this morning. How many of you have kids? I see your hands. You have kids. Okay. How many of you would agree that kids ask a lot of questions? Um, They they tend to start with things like identification questions. I was hearing it this morning out in the foyer. Things like, who's that? What's that? So those are kind of like identificational questions. But then they move to what is called motivational questions. How come? And why? Uh, I can remember our, our son Jeremy Uh, when he was just a a little kiddo, he would ask us questions, and again and again, no matter what, I mean, I could look up the answer on Google, I could have meritorious answers, I'm not just making it up on the fly now, I would prove it, and then he would say, how do you know? I said, well, I looked it up on Google, how do you know? I mean, you could not give an answer to that. But kids have a lot of questions, and I think one of the really interesting things, and I've seen this done, is when you ask kids, what questions would you like to ask God? And and I like some of their answers. These these are just a couple of them. Uh, Why do dogs chase cats? Apparently somebody had a cat as a pet, and they didn't like their dog chasing it. Um, Where does the sky end? That's a deep question. Or, Or this is my favorite one. Who does your job when you're on vacation? Don't laugh. You've asked the same question before. Um, I like this one. Is it true that my father won't get to heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? I've never equated bowling with those kinds of words, but apparently in that household they did. Or or I love this one uh, account of a little boy who was at a restaurant with his mom, and he's wiggling all over, and she kept saying, settle down, sit down. And finally, in a moment of frustration, he turns to her with all seriousness and says, Mom, why did God invent underwear? I got to tell you, I never came across that question in my pastoral theology class, and I could not think of one relevant scripture to help me with that. Aren't you grateful, though, that as you get older, you have no more questions? I think kids would be amazed to discover that we as adults have questions too. Things that we struggle with and wish God would answer. I wish God would answer me about why he created mosquitoes. Right? I mean, think about it. There could be a hundred people in the room and one mosquito and it's going to bite me. And when it bites me, I swell up. I, I, I get all itchy all over the place. It just, why would you... 
I mean, I understand birds and bees, but birds and the bees. Yeah, there we go. Um, I don't understand mosquitoes. Or I, I, I would like to know why winter can't finally end in upstate New York here. Do I get an amen? Yeah. My, the perennial question that every guy asks is, God, how do women think? Because we just don't get it. It's, it's just like, it's not a mystery. That's the mystery of the ages. And then there are some more deeper questions, like how can we keep going on in life when our heart keeps getting broken? What do we do when life seems to keep throwing us curves? What do you do when it feels like sometimes God has you on the harder things schedule? And I didn't ask for it. Um, the deeper issue is how do we process and survive hardship and loss? How do we get through that? How do we come out the other side better? How do we cope with our grief? How do we deal with that that? sense of lack that is inside that it's just it's how many of you have ever said it's not right it's just not right it shouldn't be that way how do you deal with that kind of thing when you know it's just not right and it leaves you with this sense of unease of the only word I could think of is angst it's a great word it kind of catches all of it how do we deal with significant loss and all too often, by the way, we believe, we know that God says, I came to give you life, life eternal and life abundant. Have you ever wondered where the abundance is? I don't feel like I'm walking in it a whole lot right now. I feel like I'm struggling just to get by. How do we deal with it? And, and by the way, all of those things, all of those losses exact a price from us. Sometimes the price comes to us physically. People get ulcers because of this kind of stuff. People get heart issues, headaches, migraines, all this kind of stuff can hit us because of significant loss that we have not processed well. We feel sick. Or sometimes it can hit us emotionally. We go into a cocoon. I can remember, uh, again, I wasn't present at the time, but when my mom had her first baby, his name was Michael, Michael George, he lived 16 days and he died. I suspect that today they would call him a SIDS baby. But at that time, all my mom knew was that when she woke up to feed the baby in the middle of the night, he had passed away. She went into seclusion for a year. She could not process being around other people other than my dad. Sometimes loss can hit us so strongly that emotionally we can't cope with it at all. And then sometimes the cost hits us relationally. Things fall apart around us. Uh, we live in a generation which treats relationships like they're disposable. And that can be a hard thing for all of us. So what I want to look at this morning is specifically the issue of loss. And we're going to look at it from John chapter 11, if you want to turn there. John 11. I'm not going to read a lengthy portion of Scripture to you today. Uh, I'm going to actually just pick portions out of a story that I think is well-known enough that probably some of you are familiar with it, but I will help to kind of flesh it out just a little bit. 
In John chapter 11, there is a story about a man by the name of Lazarus. The scripture tells us clearly in verse 3 that Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Isn't that, by the way, a great thing? Wouldn't, wouldn't you like that to be your epitaph on your gravestone someday? Long, long time in the future, long time in the future. So I got a lot of years left. But someday I would like an epitaph that says, Chris Lonneville, friend of Jesus. That's what it says about Lazarus. He was a friend of Jesus. And the scripture makes it clear that Lazarus, this friend of Jesus, was sick. He was very sick. In fact, the scripture goes on to tell us the sickness was so severe that it actually led to his death. But before he died, knowing that he was sick, they sent word to Jesus, Lazarus' friend, that your friend Lazarus is sick unto death. And then the scripture says a funny thing. It's kind of a weird thing. It just doesn't make sense. It's in verse 6 of chapter 11. Just look at it for a moment. It says, so when he, Jesus, heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, Jesus stayed two more days in the place where he was. So he heard his friend was sick, and then he just kind of hung out for two more days. Just sat around, chatting, eating, doing nothing. Finally, after that seemingly needless and confusing delay, Jesus and his band of followers took the two-day journey from the Jordan all the way to Bethany. And when they arrived, they discovered that Lazarus had died two days ago. Now, Lazarus had two sisters. Their names were Martha and Mary. Apparently, Martha was the oldest because her name always appears first. So Martha was the oldest and then her sister Mary my suspicion is Mary was probably the middle child and Lazarus was the baby of the family. We don't know that, but that's just how I tell the story in my mind at least, and I don't think it changes anything. But Martha and Mary were also friends of Jesus. And the scripture says that when Jesus arrived, John records that Martha went out to him. It's in verse 20 if you want to look at it, verse 20. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the home. Now Martha said to Jesus. Now pay attention to what Martha says, okay? Get this kind of locked into your brain. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now jump forward just a few verses to verse 32. Verse 32. Then when Mary came, so that's the sister. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They were both struggling to process the grief they felt over the loss, the death of their brother, Lazarus. Now, if you simply Google grief, grief if you got on your phone right now and you Google grief, you would find several different models that psychologists and psychiatrists have put together to say how we go through the different stages of grief. I, I saw one that had seven stages of grief, another one had six, another one had four stages of grief. But the model that came up most often is this model right here. It's the five models of grief. You start with shock, 
You go to denial, then anger and guilt, then despair and depression, then to acceptance. You go through different stages of grief. And, and again, th this looks so neat. It's, it looks linear. It looks logical. You start with this. I'm shocked he died. Then I go to denial. What I, no, he couldn't have died. I can't. I can't allow. Then anger. Why? Then you go to depression, despair. I can't go on. And then you go to, oh, all right, I have to move on. It looks so neat, doesn't it? But this is really how it looks, actually. Could you put up the next slide? This is how it really looks. This is what we really go through. You go up and down and back and forward, and you feel like you're finally making... I can remember when my dad died. My dad died on August 13, 1996. He was only 61 years old. He passed away from cancer, and he died. I was there when he breathed his last breath. And as much as I knew my dad was dying, he had been sitting in a comatose state for quite some time in the bed in uh, the living room of my parents' house. And I had been there helping to care for him during this time. I knew he was going to die. And in some ways, he had already passed. He was no longer there anymore. But when he breathed his last breath, I can remember, I collapsed on the floor underneath that hospital bed and just wept and sobbed and sobbed because it felt like an anchor in my life was just ripped away. But I knew he died on August 13th, 1996. But do you know, for many, 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 many weeks and years, I would see somebody who had dark rim glasses, who was balding, who was kind of bulky, you know, big guy, driving down the road, and I would look, and in my mind I would say, there goes Dad, and I would turn around and follow the car. I knew he was dead. But grief plays funny tricks on your minds. Even just this last week, I was sitting in Bud's with Dave Neeson, and a guy came in, and when he stood at the counter, I looked at him and I thought, it's that. Yeah. If my dad were still alive today, that's what he would look like. And I stood there and just was mesmerized by this guy who... Wasn't my dad? My dad has gone home to be with the Lord. But we go through stages of grief. And depending upon the level of your loss, the time it takes to work through all of that hodgepodge can be either short or great. Sometimes even processing it through a lifetime. But one point I want you to get today out of all of this, and I want you to get this. If you don't get this, you've missed the rest of the whole message. And that's this. Every loss that we experience demands an appropriate and proportional response of grief. Let me say it again. Every loss demands an appropriate and proportional response of grief. Every loss. It might not seem like a big loss to you, but it might to the person who is experiencing it. So, let me give you this example. Say I went down to... Uh, our handy-dandy Walmart, and I bought myself a Bic Ultra Round Stick Grip pen. It costs me, how much? 69 cents. Is that what you said? Were you cheaper? I don't know what it cost. I didn't buy it. Um, I found it in my office. So you go down to Walmart, you buy this handy-dandy, you need a pen. You've got a pen, you need a pen. So you've got a pen. And then one day, suddenly, without expectation, you've lost your pen. It's gone. And you look, I 
had my pen. Where did it go? I just bought that stupid pen. Where did that stupid pen go? I need a pen. I needed to sign my name on my taxes. Where did my pen go? Why can't I keep track of my pens? And by the way, that loss, it's just of an inexpensive 69 cent, 39 cent. I don't know how much cost pen. Just a cheap big pen. That actually, depending upon what's going on in your life, can actually translate in a broader sense. Because pretty soon it's not, why do I keep losing my pens? It's, why does nothing ever go right for me? Have you ever had that happen where something insignificant happens, but suddenly it becomes huge, it mushrooms in your brain and heart? It's because there's some other loss that's being processed at the same time. Now, that's just a big pen. That really doesn't matter. But what if the level of loss upped a little bit? What if the level of loss was a gold cross pen and pencil set that your father-in-law gave you on the day you were ordained to full-time ministry. And he valued several things in life, but three, really. He valued cars, he valued watches, and he valued pens. I'm not talking about above people, but those were just things that, in his generation, if you didn't have a nice watch, you were poor. So you needed a nice watch. And I can still remember the day he bought his first Cadillac. That was like, finally, I've made it to the big time. And pens really mattered to him. So on the day, let's just say, on the day of this person's ordination, their father-in-law, I'm just making this up, their father-in-law gave them a gold cross pen and pencil set that cost a lot of money. And you go to get it one day, and you realize that I am missing part of my set. Where did this make go? I've got one, but where's the other one? I mean, this was a gift that mattered a lot. The level of loss that I feel for this versus that big pen that's back there somewhere, this far outweighs that. But even this is minimal compared to the level of loss a person might feel at the lost the death of the father-in-law who gave the gift, or at least it should be lessened. Loss demands an appropriate and proportional response of grief. As treasured as that cross pen was, it's nothing compared to the loss of a loved one that has been close to you. It's not that some losses demand grief and others don't. Every loss demands a level of grief. And sometimes that grief is like an annoying twinge, just like all frustrated. Why? And sometimes it can hit you like a sucker punch that just takes your breath away. Um, some of you, how, how many of you ever visited the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington? Any of you? Interestingly, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. was dedicated in 1982, and by their own expectations, they anticipated sporadic visits from friends and family of those who had given their lives. That's what they expected. But in the first 15 years of its existence, they collected 
54,000 items that were left at the wall in memoriam. 54,000. They had to build a warehouse to house this stuff. Every single night, 365 days of the year, they take at least an hour to pick up all the stuff that is left at the Veterans Memorial in Washington, except for a Memorial Day. Then it takes them several hours to collect the stuff. It, it, it might be stuff like uh, a teddy bear, a photo of a soldier's grandchild, a letter from a daughter who never knew her dad. And every single item that is left is labeled, collected, and put in a warehouse. The park ranger, because this calls, comes under the park system within our government structure. A park ranger said this, no one ever expected this to happen. It's become so personal. Isn't that really the nature of loss? It's personal. It eats at you. It affects you dramatically. If you've lived life any length of time at all, I can almost promise you've experienced some level of loss. I've been pastoring for uh, 35 plus years now, and I have worked with and walked with so many people through the time of their loss. And you feel sympathy, you feel compassion for them, you empathize with them. But I have to tell you, as much as I care about them and I care about the loss that they are experiencing and processing, none of it came close to the loss that I felt and the grief that I felt when my own father died, when my own mother died, when my own father-in-law died. And grief can last for years. In our loss, we struggle with emotions. We look for comfort. We're looking for a place that we can call safe. Uh, we're looking for a reprieve from our pain. And, and please realize that when I speak about loss, I'm not just speaking about the death of a loved one because loss can come in a lot of different packages. It could be the, lo the loss, the death of a dream. And I'm not talking about some pie-in-the-sky dream like you're a 60-year-old and you still want to be a pro baseball player. I'm not talking about that kind of dream. I'm talking about real dreams that you believe God has put in your heart, that just something happened. I can't tell you how many people I've met over the years who believe that God called them into ministry and because of some other kind of failure in their life or something else that went on, they feel a great death to that vision, that dream. It could be uh, death of a ministry, as I said. It could be the loss of a relationship by way of divorce or perhaps someone moving away uh, or you just drift apart. Um, I was just talking recently with Tom and Sharon Weber. Uh, we were out with them and just talking. There is a real loss that comes with age. If, if you haven't experienced it yet, it's because you haven't aged much yet. Uh, things that you used to be able to do that your mind still tells you you should be able to do, but your body says, uh-uh, I don't think so. That's a loss, and it can hurt a lot. We joke about it on our better days, but it's a real loss. It really can hurt us and steal something. My own father, I can remember uh, all of our lives growing up, we, we heated with wood, and I can remember when my father had to make the decision to switch over to uh, pellets because he no longer had the strength or the stamina to cut his own wood. And that was something he grieved over because he loved being able to heat with wood. He loved the smell in the house. But that was a grief that he felt. Or what one of us, as we've gotten a bit older, 
haven't grieved over the fact that our memory isn't what it used to be. How many times have you met somebody, heard their name, and within seconds, their name or somebody you've known for years and for the life of you you can't dredge up that name and for some of you you're not even all that old yet think of what it's like when you get older and what's worse is you start calling things by the wrong names and no one corrects you it's a loss it's real Uh, it could be the loss of a job It could be the loss of your sense of usefulness. Uh, I've talked to many people uh, over the years, and especially even recently, who have retired. And it's like their whole life was put into this. I I don't care if it's just a a job out there in a factory or if it's a job pastoring in the ministry. But they retire, and it's just like, what do I do with my life now? I have no purpose. I'm useless So grief is very, very real, regardless of our age. So that's kind of like the introduction to where I want to go. Long introduction. This part will take less long. But one of the things I've discovered, and by the way, I've never preached this before, but this is kind of like my agonizing over this message, which I have done for many, many, many weeks now. Um, This is my, instead of doing like seven or six or four or five stages of grief, I want to talk to you this morning very briefly about three ways that I have watched that people tend to process their loss, their grief. Three ways that they do that. Three approaches to loss. And I want to say to you up front, none of them are wrong. Okay? None of them are wrong. In fact, I want to suggest to you that when you see every one of these, you're going to say, you've done it yourself. You have done it. Don't, Don't get all super spiritual and superior on me. Admit that I've probably done some of that same stuff. I am going to say that the final one, I think, is where I hope that we all end, which is where I want to go, because I think that's where real freedom is, is if we can end with number three, which I won't get to yet, but if we could end with number three, having processed through one and two even a little bit, then maybe we'll come to a place of greater freedom in our own soul. So I want to talk about three approaches to loss. Number one, turn to rationalization, or you might say turn to reason. I want a reason for it. And I'm taking that right out of the verses we've already read, verses 21 and 32. And again, I made sure you heard them the way it is. Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is kind of the denial, anger, bargaining stage all mixed into one. But one of the things I have noted over the years for myself and for others is that when there is a time of loss, especially significant loss, we start recounting what we think could have been or maybe should have been. We talk about this shouldn't have happened. Uh, If only the doctor had done a more thorough exam back then, maybe they could have caught it earlier and this wouldn't have had to happen. I can remember um, we were uh, some years back. I I honestly don't even remember when it was. But um, we got a call that our friend Lisa Church was very ill and was in the hospital up in Buffalo. And we went up to visit her, and she had had some testing done. She was having some problems. 
And they did the test, and it came back that she was already, at that point in time, having been primarily fine, just some struggles here or there, but primarily fine, she now found out she was in stage four cancer, liver cancer, and would not have very many days left. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how did nobody catch this before? Or maybe you're like me. I don't even want to put it on the doctor. I want a little guilt for myself. Why didn't I pick up on that symptom sooner? Why didn't I catch that he was squinting a little bit to know there was something else going on? Why didn't I pick up on it so that I can bear a little bit of the guilt because I feel better when I'm guilty? Or we say things like, I wish someone had told me this before. Maybe I wouldn't have had to. But we, we want... We want to recount details and facts, hoping that they will fix it, that they will make it right. I, I become, I had, I had an older friend of mine say to me once, Chris, you'd be a great lawyer. I, I marshal all the facts. I put them all in order. I put them logically here. And I want you to make sense of this. I want you to tell me why. At heart. What we want is justice. We want it to be made right. This is not right. I don't know if you figured it out yet, but death was never God's plan. It came as a result of sin, according to James. When sin has been conceived and comes to full maturity, it produces death. That was never God's intention. And every time somebody gets sick, every time somebody dies, there's something inside of me that says, it's just not right. It's not right that they should have to go through that. I'm tired of you having to struggle. And we struggle. We rationalize. We reason. We want something to make sense. And the first person we tend to come to in our rationalization, in our anger, in our frustration, is God himself. We tend to attack God. We, we want to put God on trial. God, just explain yourself to me. Tell me how this is right. Tell me how this makes any sense. You know, if I get sick and I die, that's fine. God, I don't mind that because honestly, I've lived a crummy life and I'm not worth a whole lot. But why would you make them sick. They were the most godly, holy person I know. I mean, God, couldn't you have waited another year so that Billy could have at least made a hundred? Come on, that's a milestone that's worth something. Take him at 99. Just like Mary and Martha, we can look at the facts and what God did do or didn't do. And by the way, there are facts in every case. The fact in this case in John chapter 11 is that Lazarus was very sick. And that's scary and hard when somebody gets very sick. When somebody has diagnoses that are challenging. Or maybe they don't even have a diagnosis yet. Maybe it's still in that ether world of just confusion right now, but something's wrong. It can be scary. It can be very, very hard. I don't know about you. In fact, let me just ask you, how many of you right now know somebody that is really struggling physically in their body, and, and it's scary right now? All of us, we know somebody that is hard put, and 
There's something in us that wants to go to God and say, God, help me with this. Why? How come? Can't you do something? Because that's really the next fact, if you would. You have Lazarus who's very sick, but the fact is they knew someone who could heal every disease. They knew somebody who could do something about it. The fact is that someone who was a close friend who could heal every disease didn't bother to even come. He just stayed where he was. Didn't do anything. And how many of us at times have said to God, God, you didn't do anything. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and they still died. We prayed for this job. This would be the perfect job for me, God. I've already told you. I've got my agenda laid out. I've looked at all of the options, and this is the best scenario. God, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you turn their hearts towards me? Why didn't you give me favor? God, I did the best I could. I might not have been the perfect husband, but I did the best I could. Why is it that things just don't seem to work out in our relationship? We want God to give us some answer for what's going on. And I got to tell you, it's easy to get stuck in grief. Any of you guys know somebody who's stuck in grief? Somebody who's lost somebody dear or lost something that was dear to them, and they just can't seem to get beyond it. I I read Facebook a little bit. I rarely post. I rarely post just because, honestly, I don't think anything I have to say is all that important. And number two, I don't want to put it out on the web in front of everybody. I just don't want to. But I stalk it a lot. I, I read it. I, I watch everybody and everything. Every, so that when you're making something, uh, can, can I just, this is a whole other aside. Just forget the message for a second. Stop posting stuff about food that looks so good. Just stop it. I don't care what Pinterest said. If you're going to do it, do it, make it, and share it with me. All right? Okay, now back to the message for a second. Oh, that was grief. Um, but I, I stalk Facebook, and I watch, and I see people who have lost loved ones or situations in their lives that didn't happen the way they thought they should, lost relationships, and they have become bitter and angry people. They are angry at God. They're bitter at God because God didn't do what they thought should happen. He didn't fix it. He didn't make it right, at least in their opinion. Uh, There is something in us that wants to rail against injustice. I mean, just look at the rhetoric on a political scale. People want to raise up in arms, literally, raise up against what's going on. On both sides, on all sides, we want, uh, when I was talking again with Tom and Sharon, Tom said, uh, which I thought was a funny point, but it's so true. Every once in a while, we need to go up onto Tom's fields and out into the woods and just scream at God. Where no one can hear us, just tell them. Tell them what we really think about what's going on. Mary and Martha, in their grief, couldn't see beyond the facts to the bigger picture. Because there is a bigger picture. There always is. The bigger picture Jesus mentions in verse 4 and verse 15. He said, this is to God's greater glory. That's what this is about, by the way. What this is about is God's greater glory. Either seen through the actual passing or seen through how you process it. 
Can you find something of grace in the midst of it? Please understand, by the way, this isn't about ever. This is never about pretending that it doesn't matter. That doesn't make anything feel better. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. It is a big deal. And it hurts a lot. It hurts you. And it hurts those around you. So this isn't about somehow pretending so that I can just get beyond this. I'll just, somebody says, how are you doing? Fine. Fine. I mean, isn't that our typical answer? How are you doing? Fine. How's your week going? Fine. I come home, my wife says, so what did you do today? Nothing. You were gone for 10 hours. Yeah. So how was your day? Fine. And then time is a significant loss. So how are you doing? Fine. It doesn't help to pretend. It doesn't help to think, well, if I won't give voice to it, it doesn't mean anything. The truth is it's there. It hurts. It's a significant loss. It's about seeing, though, the bigger picture more than the facts because it's a painful thing when we can't see the plan and the heart of God in the midst of what we're going through. And notice what I said. I said the plan. God has a plan. God's working all things together for good. And somebody posted recently, that doesn't mean everything. It means all things. Once all things come together, we're going to see God has a good plan. But can you trust his heart? Um, I think God is well able to handle your pain and your grief and your confusion and even your anger at him. I think God can handle that. I don't think he minds when you go out in Tom's field and scream at him. I don't think he's threatened. He's not intimidated. I think he understands. I think he's a safe place to bring your anguish. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself because that's not up until point three. But I want you to hear me. I, I would just say to you, bring it. Bring it. Bring it to God. Bring it all. Bring all your stuff. God's not scared and he's not bothered. If you read the Psalms at all with an open heart, look at David. David said, God, if this is how you treat your friends, I'd rather be your enemy. That's what David said. It's okay to be honest with God with what you're dealing with. I heard of a woman who was a, uh, an agnostic who cared nothing about God, and she used to just despise and disdain people who she believed used God and Christianity as a crutch. But one day, one Sunday afternoon, she got a call from the state police that her daughter had been in an extremely serious car accident, and they weren't sure she was even going to survive. She got dressed, she jumped in her car, and she's speeding to the hospital. And the whole way to the hospital, she tells the story, the whole way to the hospital, she is telling off this God she doesn't even believe in. She is railing at him. She's swearing at him. She's angry, saying, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Take me. Leave my daughter. And she's screaming at God at the top of her lungs as she's speeding to the hospital. And at one point, she tells a story. She took a breath to continue it. And into the car, like oil came the sense of overwhelming peace and she began to just weep and weep and weep she could barely see she pulls over to the side of the road she's weeping so hard but she felt peace that was beyond understanding and into that for the first time in her life she heard the voice of God and he said I'm so glad you're finally talking to me see God's not bothered by our stuff he's so big who is man that thou art mindful of him? 
or the Son of Man that you would give thought to. We attack God. We go after God. And when that doesn't work, we tend to, number two, attack people. We go after others. I think about Adam and Eve in the garden. God set up some clear parameters. You can eat of every tree in the garden, everything, except for that one. Please hear, eat everything but that one. But they didn't hear it that way. They said, you can eat everything, but not that one. And they partook. And God comes on the scene and he says, what's going on? And what's Adam say? Adam says, um, it's her fault. He didn't really say that, by the way. Did you know that? What did he say? It's the woman you gave me. So he doesn't even just attack her. He attacks her and God all in one breath. He's got it all together. And then God comes to Eve and says, okay, Eve, what did you do? And Eve thinks for a minute. She goes, it's the serpent's fault. They both had significant loss, but they couldn't come to grip with it in themselves, so they had to lash out and blame somebody else. Now, I got to tell you, I think this is all too often why marriages fall apart. It's because we can't handle the fact that there is significant loss. And we t- even like when, when our daughter had a car accident, Karen and I, we, we, we speed to the hospital. We spent weeks there. Uh, it was just a horrific time. Tremendous pressure, hard things going on. We didn't know how she would be from moment to moment. And the hospital staff was just confusing at times. It was hard. And there were times when it would have been easy for us to begin to clash and attack each other. I see that in relationships all the time, where people are faced with a crisis, and instead of pulling together, they attack each other. Instead of saying, I'm upset, but we're still on the same team. We're in this together. The truth is, I love you. The fact is, I'm scared, and I want something to make sense here, and I feel like lashing out, but the truth is, I still love you, and we're in this together. We want something to make sense, so we strike out blindly because Maybe you've never done this. Uh, I have. How many of you have ever hurt yourself in one area and you think that if I can cause pain in another area, I can distract myself from the other pain? Have you ever done that? Let me see your hands if you have. Come on, you people. It's kind of like my foot hurts, so I bang my head against the wall, hoping that the banging of my head will make me be distracted from my foot. It works every time, except for now I've got a hurt foot and a headache. But we do that. We lash out at other people, hoping that if I can blame them, it will make me feel better somehow. And it never works. What we need to realize is that as human beings, but especially as Christ followers, putting the blame somewhere else isn't going to make you feel better. The only real path to freedom in your loss is grief, real grief. The scripture says, weeping may endure for the night. It's going to happen. It says, blessed, precious are those who come bearing their seed with many tears. We're all going to experience loss. We're all going to experience deep pain. But we process it as grief. So the first one was turn to rationalization. The second one, which we all do. We all do this. And and by the way, in the first one, I'm not saying it's wrong at all. We all do this. We all get upset with God. We all get upset with people. Why? I mean, uh, you get upset with stuff that goes on. Uh, It's hard. Um, 
Sometimes we just want things to make sense. But the second thing that we do that is, I think, a little bit better, a little bit healthier, what we all do is we turn to people. We, we turn to friends and family for comfort. In verse 19 of chapter 11 of John, uh, it says, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And then in verse 31, When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. We all need somebody who's there for us. We need one another. And, and again, I'm not going to deal with this particular section much because in several weeks we're going to look at it on a different whole vein. But we need one another. We need family. We need to be there for one another in these times of loss. Mary and Martha had a great support system, and we need that as well. Uh, I have watched over the years in my experience I have watched where a, a matriarch or a patriarch of the clan have died, and the children, who haven't even hardly talked to each other for years, come together for a funeral service, and they begin to support and care for one another in that time of loss. I can't tell you, at the time when uh, we lost my father, for me personally, how significant it was to have folks in this church drive all the way down to Waterloo beyond Phelps, to be there to support us, to help, even to provide stuff for us, to make sure that we were taken care of. That kind of support is so important in our lives. And so please don't hear me that I am saying this is wrong. It's not wrong. It's good. But there's a problem with it. As much as your friends love you and they care for you, no matter how good a friend it is, no matter how close your family is, at the end, at a certain point in time, they're going to have to go home. They're going to have to go after their own responsibilities. They're going to have to go to bed and go to sleep. They're going to have to go take care of their own family. They're going to have to go back to work. In other words, they can't always be there. And I have watched over the years as people have grieved greatly, and people bring food into the house, and everybody's gathered, there comes that one moment in time when finally everybody has to go home, and you're left alone. So as much as friends and family are good and important, they're not forever. Even on a reality basis, they're going to grow old, and the ravages of age is going to take them someday. They're not forever. Which brings me to point number three, very simply, the best, I believe, and the final place we need to end up is we need to turn to Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the only lasting hope that we have that transcends this world and what this world offers us and what this world can take from us. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus in John 11 says, listen, though he may die, that's what he says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He says, I'm the resurrection. Put your hope in me. I'm the one at the end of all time. Not here and now, but at the end of all time. 
I will make sure all accounts are balanced. Not in this life, but in that life. That doesn't mean that sometimes God won't give you some explanation. I don't mean that. He does. And I'm grateful for it. But there are sometimes things happen that have no explanation. Can you? And that's why, I, by the way, I said not just turn to Jesus. I said turn to and trust in Jesus. Can you trust Jesus with the end of it all? Because that's really what loss is about. That which brings us freedom in our own souls, in all of our different losses, is when we can learn to trust that Jesus has a bigger plan. He has a broader perspective than just us right now. And he is the one who will never leave us. He doesn't have to go back to work. He doesn't go on vacation, as that one little kid said. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And he tells us in Psalm 23, he will restore our souls. He will bring balance back to us. Turn to and trust in Jesus. And again, when you do that, it's not always going to fix everything. Like It's not suddenly your friend who died is going to raise from the dead. It doesn't mean you're always going to get that job that you wanted. It doesn't mean finally your spouse will finally get in order and everything will go well. What it means is you put your faith, your trust in him. And you believe him for the resolve to see this thing resurrected as he desires it. So it doesn't mean you won't go through stuff. There are people, I can remember uh, when I got saved, my father said to me, and again, I was a young boy, my father said to me, you'll never be naughty anymore. Well, I got to tell you, that didn't work for me, and it doesn't work for anybody. All of us have problems. You're still going to have stuff. So it's not that becoming a Christian means you're exempt from stuff. You still have stuff. You still have a battle. You have an enemy. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can know the end of it all. I don't always know what's happening in this life. I don't understand why things happen the way they do. But I do know this. God is good, and I can trust him. And that's kind of where this all goes to. What I want to do, uh, and again, remember, the bigger issue is not what we're going to do about it. The bigger issue is who we turn to. That's kind of like the synopsis of this whole thing. What I want to do is I want to hand out a couple of things to you if I could get some help. The first... I'll give to two of you. You can hand one to everybody. And then, no, 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 keep those. They're going to hand out other things. You guys are going to hand out these. So one to everybody. Go, quick, quick, quick. Because some people are getting hungry. I don't know who. What I'm handing out to you very simply is a, uh, a full page that is a statement that I read recently on Facebook that I really liked the message that came across that I made full page for you instead of reducing it. I made it full page in the hope that maybe you could take this and put it somewhere where you can actually see it once in a while and remember it. And then number two, I'm handing you out this little card that is just a verse that is taken from Psalm 34:18, And that verse I put in the message translation just because I liked how it put it because I think it's a little bit more raw and a little bit more gripping for all of us. So, I want to make sure you all have that. We'll get them. It's okay. We have a couple up here who didn't get uh, the full sheets. Josh and Josh. That worked out well. Right here, didn't get any. I don't 
know about Francine. This statement uh, I wanted to read to you just so that you see it. I think it's appropriate for this week and it's appropriate for next week when we deal with forgiveness. But it says this, for you, for all your regrets and for all your impossibles, for all that will never be and for all that once was, for all that you can't make right and for all that you got wrong, for all your Judas failures and your Peter denials and your Lazarus griefs, I offer to take the nails, the sharp edge of everything, and offer you myself because I want to take you, you in your wild grief, you in your anger and your disappointment and your wounds, and you're not yet there, you, just as you, just you just as you are, not so improved version of you, but you. I came for you to hold you, to carry you, and to literally save you. And then I gave you that little card, and I'm hoping that what you'll do is kind of like what I do. When I have something I want to remember, uh, like when I, for a long time I used to carry in my wallet when I would go someplace a little laminated card. It was like a business card size, and I would carry that with me when I would go to meetings, and it said very simply, shut your mouth. I wanted to remember, where there are many words, there's much sin, the scripture says. So it's better to be quiet and just silent. So I used to carry it with me. I'm hoping you will put this card someplace where you can see it, like maybe in your mirror or on your refrigerator, wherever you go a lot. If, like, if you open the refrigerator a lot for food, put it there. Or maybe on the visor of your car. And let this verse kind of settle inside of you that God cares about you and your loss. And he wants you to be free of all of the things that have gripped you and held you in its sway. And it says simply this, if your heart is broken, you'll find God there. If you're kicked in the gut, he will help you catch your breath. Which means we all have it happen to us. We all have stuff happen. But he is still the resurrection and the life. Would you stand with me this morning? I knew that this message was going to be longer than normal, but I wanted to deal with this as a way that I actually myself have found myself processing loss and grief. And again, grief doesn't just mean the loss of a loved one. It could be the loss of a loved one through a broken relationship, the loss of a job, loss of health, loss of strength. Um, I'm going to be having surgery in not too distant future. And one of the things they've said is, okay, for the first month, you can't do anything. Uh, I didn't like it when Andy said to me recently that Sam had a similar surgery and that for like two weeks he laid in bed. I'm thinking, I'm not a bed liar. I want to do stuff. I want to get back to my workout. Uh, loss of strength, loss of mobility, loss of what you think should be. Loss is very real to all of us. Every one of us face it at one level or another. And for every loss, there needs to be an appropriate and proportionate level of grief that we process it. Yes, sometimes going to God and saying, God, I don't get it. Other times, people have done us wrong. Other times, it's going to people for comfort and care. But most of all, make sure you end with God. Make sure God's in the mix for you. Make sure you go to God and say, God, I need your help. I don't even understand this, but I need your help for what's going on. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for this day.
for time that we have had together, and I know that in a group this size, there are some people who have probably experienced, even this year, significant loss. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. It's still heavy upon their heart, and even thinking about it brings tears to their eyes and the welling of emotion that can come like waves. For others, it's a broken relationship. And they're just struggling, not understanding. I, I don't get it. I, I did the best I could. I don't think I was that bad, but God, if I am, help me. For others, it's the loss of a dream. I've done everything I know how. And it just seems like nothing goes right. For some, it's even the loss of finances. For others, it's loss of health, strength, and energy. Loss of what used to be with age. Father, loss is very real, but I'm asking you to come near and to touch hearts, to go deeper, and let them be able to experience the loss, to grieve in the loss, to weep, but in it all, to turn to you, who is the resurrection and the life. You can take those broken places of our lives and you can do things with it when no one else can because you are a redeeming God. You are a God who takes the clay and forms it into something precious. So Lord, I'm asking you to go deep in hearts and let us be free in our own souls, to walk through the things of this life and not allow them to grip us, but to be gripped by God himself. That's my prayer and my desire for every single person. I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.